G'day, you're listening to It's Good to Be a Man, the project where we are seeking to take up God's father rule in strength, wisdom, and workmanship. In the last mini-sode that I did, I talked about how women bearing the sword are an abomination to the Lord. And today I'm going to follow up by asking, can badass female characters in movies and TV and video games ever be redeemed? And spoiler alert, I'm going to argue that in general they can't, because the problem of ubiquitous feminist icons in media is not that they violate God's design for women per se, nor that they're often one-dimensional Mary Sues, which of course is an artistic violation, but rather that they generally glorify that which God declares inglorious. That's next. where I argued that women enforcing justice is detestable to God, I took a fairly broad swing in the process at superheroines and other such badass female characters. But since I was talking about gender boundaries established by God rather than a Christian view of media, my swing was more of a brandish and less of a plunging death wound. Now here I want to correct that, because a common pushback that I get is precisely that my swing misses because ordinary creation categories shouldn't be applied to fictional women in universes unlike ours, because the rules there are different. Wonder Woman, for instance, is uniquely qualified for combat in a way that even men in our universe are not. And while we'd all agree that Mary Sue's are lame, you know, Mary Sue's are jacked up female characters who can just do anything because they're women, surely at least some badass female characters are justified by their nuanced narrative explorations of the interplay between their femininity and their vocations. Well, how should we assess this? Firstly, I think we must note that the argument does get something right. It recognizes that characters who violate God's standards are not intrinsically objectionable. We could hardly have interesting stories if we didn't have such characters. Murderers, thieves, drunkards, homosexuals, and yes, even female cops and marines and superheroes. They're all fair game in fiction. The pertinent question is not about whether such badass women are permissible, or dare I say it, desirable, but in what way. I appreciate that there is nuance to consider in how various characters are portrayed, but I believe following Doug Wilson that the fundamental question we should ask when assessing a character or story is really very simple. Here it is. What is this bidding us approve of? What are we expected to celebrate? In biblical parlance, what is being glorified? There are two sides to this, the author's intent and the actual effect on the audience, and these are often similar, but not always. Let's first talk about authorial intent. What the writer or director intended with a particular character and story is surely important. Eowyn in Lord of the Rings is fairly unobjectionable to me on these grounds, as are Lucy and Susan in Narnia, because how Tolkien and Lewis portray these characters' relationship with combat is quite biblical. The girls are only to use their weapons in self-defense in Narnia, while the boys are expected to lead battles, and Eowyn in Lord of the Rings is treated as weak for pursuing self-indulgent glory over her womanly duties. And although her assuming a masculine role is critical to victory, Tolkien is really mimicking the Bible here, for example, Genesis 50-20 in Judges 4. Unsurprisingly, both Tolkien and Lewis were operating within a consciously Christian frame of reference, and in a time when modern feminism was only just starting to get a significant foothold. Their view of femininity precluded the kind of badass heroines we have grown accustomed to in the popular media. 
even though Lucy enjoys going into the battle in The Horse and His Boy, and Lewis is perhaps flirting with the kind of chivalric white knighting that led to our modern sensibilities, he openly says that she's only as useful in war as a boy. So if modern audiences are inclined to impute to her or to Susan or Eowyn modern badassery, it seems obvious to me that the fault does not lie with their creators. However, shifting from this kind of situation and these kinds of characters, and ignoring the the admittedly fuzzy middle ground until I get to my second point, other characters, like Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Wonder Woman, are obvious cases of the opposite pole. Here, even if I knew nothing of their provenance and the views of their creators, I could easily infer that they are vehicles for intentionally glorifying women in masculine roles. Now, the standard pushback here is that the universes that Buffy and Diana inhabit work according to different rules. In those universes, some women are endowed with extraordinary prowess in battle, thus making them qualified for combat roles in ways that have no real-world corollary. (laughs) I am not inclined to be bamboozled by obviously reversible writing decisions or mere plot mechanics into giving quarter about what is fundamentally being glorified. If a character has a specific power or skill set, why is she a she when the writer could have made her a he? What is the intent being signaled behind that decision? A good writer can invent a plot device to justify pretty much anything that would be impermissible in real life. But this doesn't make the plot device a universal disinfectant. Swap out badass women with homosexuals, and this should be transparent. I'd wager it'd take Stephen Moffat of Doctor Who and Torchwood fame about 10 seconds flat to concoct a universe whose rules require homosexuality to be the norm. But no sane Christian would be fooled for a moment into thinking that such a device was anything but a thinly veiled pretext for glorifying what God hates. So how is the same not true of feminist icons like Buffy Summers and Diana Prince. The fact that their creators invented plot mechanisms to justify their assuming masculine roles doesn't actually, you know, justify it. Yes, Joss Whedon and more recently Patty Jenkins are sensitive enough to explore some of the inherent tensions between femininity and the vocations of their characters. But this doesn't change the fundamental problem, which is that the entire premise of these characters as heroes people to be approved of, celebrated, glorified, is detestable to God. And this leads into the second point, which is the effect on the audience. If we were living in a different time, a time that's not already saturated in the rebellion of femme empowerment and buried one layer deeper in badass feminist heroines every year, I might be inclined to entertain the pure artistic value of at least some of these characters. Steve Hayes over on Triblog, for instance has pointed out genuine artistic merits in Buffy, to which I would add the Slayer origin story developed during season 5, and yes, I actually am a Buffy geek, that is part of my provenance, and I have repented of that. But in season 5, the first Slayer is shown the victim of sorcerers who used her as a weapon by imbuing her with demonic power. Now, even though this is a transparent riff on the feminist patriarchal oppression myth, It is nonetheless an interesting development in terms of the violation of femininity, which is inherent in being the chosen one, the slayer. But we're not living in a world where feminist icons are so rare or so typically well-developed that critical artistic evaluation should be our first impulse. 
We're not even living in a world where critical artistic evaluation is within the capability of the average media consumer. The cultural juices in which we are stewing are toxic to discernment or discriminating analysis. We are the frog in the pot, and we've pretty much started to bubble in an icky brew concocted from outsourcing our education to the Canaanites and our entertainment to the Romans. In the stewing pot, badass women, assuming masculine roles, are a key ingredient for keeping us stoned on the fumes. They are the unrelenting wartime propaganda pieces in a conflict of worldviews where feminism has been handily wiping the walls for the past several generations. From my own experience, it's hard to overestimate how much a continual lifelong exposure to these kinds of characters and stories influences our intuitions about what is right and proper and admirable for women. This indoctrination is utterly destructive for both sexes because it encourages girls and women to aspire to masculinity while thinking of femininity as weak and lame, and simultaneously it dilutes boys' and men's conception of masculinity by showing them that anything a man can and should do a woman can do sexier. Now, this doesn't mean that women in media should be wallflowers, or never involve themselves in masculine activities, or to keep focus on the topic at hand, that they should never be presented as badasses. To reiterate my thesis, it's a question of what is being glorified. Let me commend a couple of recent examples that have actually impressed me, one following the badass female character trope, and the other one more subtle. The first one is Nebula in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Now, I find Gamora utterly uninteresting and unsympathetic as a character, but the way Nebula, her sister, is developed in the MCU aptly demonstrates how a badass female character can be used to explore femininity in a way that honors God's design, even within a universe that clearly has no qualms about defacing that design with other badass women. Here's a clip from Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 where she explains her origin. As a child, my father would have Gamora and me battle one another in training. Every time my sister prevailed, my father would replace a piece of me with machinery, claiming he wanted me to be her equal. But she won. Again, and again, and again, never once refraining. So after I murder my sister, I will buy a warship with every conceivable instrument of death. I will hunt my father like a dog and I will tear him apart slowly, piece by piece, until he knows some semblance of the profound and unceasing pain I know every single day. This is heartbreaking to any man with a daughter. While it would obviously be a brutal thing to happen to anyone, given the rules of the universe, I can imagine a man eventually emerging from such an ordeal stronger, and even in a way grateful for the kind of weapon he's been honed into. But Nebula, however, does not respond in such a way. Though she is certainly a honed weapon, she's a honed weapon of rage and agony. The devastation of her femininity is especially revealed in her fury at her sister for not being a sister to her. And though she's able to overcome this trauma through recognizing that Gamora was as much of a victim as she... It's only by redirecting her torment into a single-minded quest for vengeance on her father. I don't know whether the writers intended the Thanos Nebula arc to be subversive of modern fatherhood and femininity norms, but our approval of these certainly is called into question by the way badassery is shown to have ruined Nebula's feminine soul. The second example is Mr. and Mrs. Robinson from Netflix's Lost in Space, which contains an admirably even-handed treatment of gender roles in the form of the tension between John and Maureen Robinson, 
Like the depiction of Nebula, the portrayal of their relationship is positively subversive at times. We start out being expected to side with Maureen for leaving John, but come to suspect that perhaps her halo is not so shiny after we get to know their story a bit better. This isn't to say he doesn't suffer from supplicating Beta Syndrome on more than one occasion. Nonetheless, the show doesn't try to tell us who should be in charge as they struggle to figure out their relationship, and it doesn't try to make us believe that their various actions are virtuous or not merely based on their sex, which is pretty surprising for Netflix. And a similar thing happens with Penny and Vijay, who are also characters in the same show. Despite Vijay's opportunistic attitude to Penny, he's nonetheless portrayed as courageous, and despite Penny's rising above her hormones to confidently steamroll him... One doesn't get the impression the writers find her empowered attitude entirely attractive. And the show also couples these unusually open-ended dynamics with a setting that intriguingly mirrors that of Adam and Eve as they go out into the world to subdue it. So I think it's worth watching. This starts to move us in the direction of answering the question, how should femininity be portrayed in the media? But that isn't really the issue that I want to address here. So let me close this out by simply saying... My contention is this. Most feminist media icons are not redeemable because the very premise of their existence approves, celebrates, glorifies what God condemns. But as always, there are shades of grey towards the middle and one's personal awareness and discernment and motivation for watching makes a blanket prohibition rather too much like legalism for my liking. In lieu of a blanket prohibition, what I will give you is my standard sign-off, which is very apropos in this case. Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, be strong and act like men, and let everything that you do be done in love. (laughs) 